we're, we're all going to have our different ways of managing time. And so for his, it was his Google calendar. And for my, for me, maybe uh, not as organized, but basically just going through every night and looking at canvas and just quickly doing a quick check right before bed. Like, Oh, yep. No homework. I'm good. I can go to sleep now. Uh, just as a quick sanity check is how you work. And so to, to be a productive student, in my mind, it's, you have to know yourself. Welcome to It's a Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world, with your hosts, David Ye and Puneet Upadhyay. Before we get into the episode, we have a free MSc company database categorized by industry sector, location, as well as internship and full-time titles, so you can find that link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's get started. Hey everyone, hope you're all doing well. Thank you for joining us for episode 58. It's been really fun getting the opportunity to meet MSCs from around the world. So again, I just wanted to thank you all for listening to this podcast and joining David and I as we uncover the various ways MSC makes an impact all around us. But for this episode, it's going to just be David and I. So again, we asked fellow MSCs what challenges they face and what they'd like us to talk about. And we're doing a little bit of a spin here where we're not really going to talk about like job search stuff or career stuff. We're, we're talking about everything else that makes up an MSE's life in from the university level. Um, so we're just going to share our experiences and like related advice based on the paths we followed in our four or five even six-year MSE <laughs> careers at school. <laughs> so if you'd like to submit any more questions, you can do so through the contact page on www.itsamaterialworldpodcast.com or just leaving a comment on our YouTube video or our LinkedIn post. So without further ado, our first question is a general one, but a very important one. It's what can I do in college to set me up for success as an MSc? Yeah, that's a great question. I guess first figure out what MSc is and what it means to you. I think that a great example is that going into MSc at Georgia Tech, there's three concentrations. And I would say that I didn't actually even know what my concentration did until my third year. <laughs> so maybe a little longer than most, but figuring out like what exactly MSc is and what you want to get out of it is extremely important because that's going to dictate what classes, uh, what jobs, etc. that you're going to be looking for. And so figuring that out early would be beneficial to make sure you don't waste any time or like uh, do things that is definitely not in your own interest. So it's not as fun and actually detrimental to your college experience. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for how to go about that? Like for me, the first thing that comes to mind is trying different research experiences. And it's kind of that balance that you're playing where you want to invest, you know, like a, a significant amount of time into a research lab to get the most out of it. But, you know, if there is another opportunity that interests you, then that's something that may be worth going for, whether that's research, whether that's student organization, internship, et cetera. So any other suggestions there? I know those are all definitely the big ones, but yeah, that's definitely uh, great list, especially the research. And I think that is on school premise is extremely easy to get into, uh, or maybe not extremely, but very, <laughs> very easily accomplished with some effort. 
a lot of the things that you can do at college are very low uh, barrier of entry compared to things in industry or things that you could do for money, uh, which are very high levels of uh, entry barriers. So doing things while it's cheap and easy is a great way to learn, but just overall like doing classwork or talking to other students who are older than you, who are in their concentrations or, or further along in their MSc curriculum is just great ways to understand exactly uh, what is there to do and what you should do and what you should avoid. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I would say too, is from the coursework side, you know, you're taking your first two years, usually checking off like gen ed classes, right? But by the time you're in your second and third year, then that might be the time to explore different paths, like a metals class and a polymers class, ceramics class earlier rather than later so that you can figure out and kind of hone in on what's most interesting to you. And then also, if you want to speed up that process, just talking to like a third year or fourth year about the different classes and what they're interested in, that might give you a little bit more insight sooner rather than later. But yeah, I guess, is there anything you wanted to add to that before we move on to the next question, David? Other than the uh, old adages that you hear from about everyone, go to class, uh, <laughs> study, uh, that, that's as uh, good as it's going to get. Uh, and it's really all the information's out there and there's a lot of experiences out there. It's just finding the ones that are right for you and putting the effort. Yeah. I was really impressed, David, because you, you like, I was like, are you being a hypocrite by saying go into class? But no, I think you actually like attended like every class, even the ones that were that were boring. I'm not gonna mention names or anything, but <laughs> yes, I went I went to I don't I don't think I skipped a single class. The only time I missed class was when I slept in. Uh, okay, so. I was about to ask about 8 a.m. because <laughs> yeah, we my, the same yeah, math the <laughs> yeah, I quickly found out that 8 a.m.s uh, were detrimental to my grades. <laughs> I, I'm sure if you plotted like my GPA and 8 a.m. classes versus the other classes, uh, there'd be a distinct shift. And so I quickly found out that wasn't for me. Uh, and so I made very conscientious decisions to avoid that in the future. <laughs> yeah, you even took like evening classes. So like, yes, yes, crazy. I much preferred evening classes because I can't sleep through those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which brings us to our next question a little bit. It's what are some tips to help me be a more productive student? And the first thing that came to my mind was figuring out your hours of like peak productivity and and when you operate best. Like David, I think is probably like two or three a.m. <laughs> mine might. I think mine is like or mine is like eleven a.m. So that's where I would at least try to fit in. If it's not class, then like getting homework done or getting studying done around that time frame, then like eating lunch and then recharging and then doing the same thing in the afternoon. And then for me, the big thing, the big game changer was actually being active with like my Google calendar. And uh, instead of just having like classes in my calendar, like planning out my days in a little bit more detail, not totally rigid, but just saying, you know, study for this exam at 2 p.m. or, you know, finish this homework at 5 p.m. Um, when it was on my calendar, I was much more likely to get it done. And if I didn't get it done, then I would just move it to like the next day or two days from now, depending on the urgency there. And that led to a drastic increase in my productivity. What helped for you? Yeah, I think just even if it was weird hours that you said is that I, I did enjoy staying up later and working <laughs> and just finding what is most efficient for you 
And so, I mean, no, no two people are the exact same. Like, sure, I could do work at 11 a.m. And yes, I did do work at 11 a.m. throughout <laughs> the year. But when it comes down to it, like, I found myself consistently like, getting the most done and uh, like, being like the most productive uh, later at night. And just something about being late at night, maybe it's the zero distractions from other people. No one else is awake. No one else can distract me. <laughs> it, it, it makes it uh, easier for me to focus. And so just finding when you're most productive is probably the most thing. And uh, like Bruni said, is that we're, we're all going to have our different ways of managing time. And so for his, it was his Google calendar. And for my, for me, maybe uh, not as organized, but basically just going through every night and looking at canvas and just quickly doing a quick check right before bed. Like, Oh, yep. No homework. I'm good. I'm going <laughs> to sleep now. Uh, just as a quick sanity check is how you work. And so to, to be a productive student in my mind, it's uh, you have to know yourself. And then also I think that something that's extremely valuable for me was working with someone who wasn't like me. And so it almost pushed me out of my comfort zone and it put me in like in a new mind frame. And so uh, for example, I would work with Puneeth on like the weekends. And so he would want to work at 11 a.m. And so <laughs> while it wasn't, wasn't my uh, peak hours, it was uh, just like it, it completely shifts. And so I would find myself being pro- more productive in other areas where I would uh, not be so productive at night. And yeah. so kind of having that balance between what I find productive and what other people find productive, pushing me to be their type of productiveness, uh, help me like maintain like being on top of everything throughout college. Yeah. That reminded me of when we went to the the cult to study for the thermo test over the weekend, because that was like every other weekend, right? And I remember it would be like the first day, maybe I would be a little bit more prepared and like we would be, both be studying. But then now that I'm thinking about it, like the next day, you would all of a sudden just like have this increase in knowledge. And I was like, how did this happen? It was probably while I was sleeping, you were just studying more. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I, I found, I found, so to give more elaboration, we had thorough tests every other week on like a huge mass of information. So I basically used Puneet as my outline and then I would go home at night and then I would just uh, actually do more of like the type of studying I found useful. And I would come back the next day and I would, I would know a lot more. So I was using him as like, Oh, this is important. He finds this important. Okay. I'll, I'll look into this more. And so uh, just like working with other people with different mindsets is just how you get multiple different viewpoints and you can stay on top of everything for sure. Yeah. And what I appreciated from David was I was never like really about this, but having him as an accountability partner, he would, when we would actually both, you know, have like a good amount of preparation under our belt, he would ask questions. You, you would ask questions, just like random questions about like, I don't know, what is the alpha to beta quartz transition temperature, right? Or, or something and, um, or to explain a concept. And that I think is like one of the best ways to learn is if you can really talk through it without looking at your notes and explain it to someone else in an easy, easy to understand way. And so I remember like those questions would probably show up on the test and I would be far more comfortable answering that because I already answered it with David and then David would help me like fill in the knowledge gaps or like correct me if I'm wrong. So I thought that was pretty good. And then the final thing that I really 
liked about our weekend study sessions is that like we would be able to take breaks at the same time. So we'd grab like Chick-fil-A for lunch and then we would take like half an hour, hour break or whatever. And then also just random times you would bring out type racer and then I would <laughs> beat you in type racer. <laughs> and so that was, that was a good break too. I think that's important. It's not just like pushing yourself too much to the point of burnout, but just like taking breaks um, frequently and just being, being able to separate those two. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so our, our next question is, what were your favorite classes? So that's, it's a big sample size to choose from, but what was your favorite class, David? Uh, yeah, my favorite class was uh, functional materials. It was uh, the first master's class I, I ever took. And basically it just went under like, it was a very broad class to begin with. And I don't think Pranith and I had a great understanding at first, but um, over time, it mostly talked about semiconductors, but more specifically the underlying base reactions of all materials and their defects. And so understanding how defects move through a material system and then focusing more specifically on like semiconductors, when we have dopants, how can like electrons move and these uh, defects of the P and N-type doped can move through the system and create these electrical systems. And so uh, I found that especially interesting just because it basically shattered my world. I, I took this <laughs> master's class in like my fifth year of school. And um, one thing that we learned in undergrad is like, oh, we can kind of assume like a pristine system. Like, sure, we might learn about a few point defects, but the overall control of a reaction is based off the like materials themselves. And then that was completely taken back to square one in that class where we learned like, okay, no, that's all wrong. It's actually how fast defects can move through a material system. Yeah. And so going to like, uh, like, and even like what I thought was the base and then going even deeper was really interesting. And then functional materials are more or less like electronic materials. And so uh, getting more into like my system of uh, what I wanted to do with like batteries and other things, it gave me a lot more insight into uh, how a battery works and uh, more specifically like why uh, electrovoltaic like properties are the way they are. And when we look at curves of batteries, like what are each subsection of the curve and what does it mean? So overall, I just thought it gave me a lot more deeper knowledge into what I was talking about and a lot more it shattered my world and then built it back up. <laughs> so yeah, it was a very hard class, but I, I found it very enjoyable. Yeah. That's what I realized about like the master's program versus the bachelor's curriculum. I didn't expect it. I thought it would just be like the same or just like, you know, slightly more work or something like that. But for me, the master's classes felt like it was more conceptual and more theoretical, which is a mindset shift than from the bachelor's classes, which were like more fundamentals and application and kind of like the higher level overview, making a lot of assumptions so that we could understand the gist of the concept. But the master's classes, I don't know if you realized or if you felt the same way, but it was like far more theoretical. And so for me, that was like a lot more challenging to fully like comprehend, but I thought I learned a lot in the process. I think that's a fair statement. All right. And then, and then my favorite class was, I took it in my fourth year and it was soft nano biomaterials. Um, so that's like polymers and nanomaterials for like biomedical applications where they, they have like biocompatibility properties and you're able to like 
incorporate those materials into the human body, for example. Well, there's a bunch of different applications, but those were like my favorite. I remember we had a project at the end of the year where we got to pick a specific application. And so our group project, we chose like 3D and 4D bioprinting for like tissue engineering applications. And David, I think we did an episode about like 3D bioprinting and and bioinks and things like that. And that was just super interesting to see the, the complexity, but the importance of being able to create bio inks for 3D printing applications for the human body, like being able to generate like tissue or like an organ even, but it's super complicated because it needs to mimic the human body, which is complex in and of its own. And so there's a lot of challenging or difficult to reach properties that bio bio inks have to have to be able to replicate like the functions of the human body. So that was why it was my favorite class and being able to understand like the theory behind it was super fascinating. So what do you think is the, uh, I guess you work in the biomedical field now, what have you been able to take anything from that class and apply it to your job now? Yeah, I guess like, so when it comes to 3D and 4D bioprinting, like 4D is like 3D printing, but for smart materials. So materials that react to external stimuli. Um, So that's just a brief definition there. So that still seems like it's a ways away. There's startups that are actively working on it, but the thing about the medical device industry specifically is it takes forever for it's a heavily regulated industry for good reasons. So in that sense, I haven't really been able to fully incorporate that knowledge, but just the knowledge of like properties and like the biocompatibility aspect and being able to interact with the human body. I've been able to use that when understanding like codings for our medical devices and what properties, properties they need to have to be able to like function well within the human body. So that's about the extent that I've had it. It was just super fascinating to, to realize and be able to monitor the advancement of this field, if that makes sense. All right. So our, our next question, we're kind of flying through this, but this one, I think we've covered it in a little bit of detail before, um, but we're going to dive into kind of the reasons behind joining a makerspace and, you know, what is that environment of a makerspace like? So again, I'll defer to you, David, former CEO of the Materials Innovation and Learning Laboratory. Uh, yeah, so bigger spaces in their very essence uh, can be numerous things. And so you, you would probably have the most common one on like any school basically now would be like your mechanical makerspace where they have a bunch of like equipment to make things. So that could be like with wood cutting tools, 3D printers are extremely popular, just basically basic manufacturing tools to help students build whatever they want. More specifically, for Georgia Tech, we have what Puneeth was talking about, the Material Innovation and Learning Laboratory, the MIL, where it's a makerspace for MSc students. Uh, and that was specifically unique because we had a lot of equipment that is research grade that was just free for our students to use. And so that would include like XRD, SEM, Leica microscope, FKR, 3D printers, etc. And so personally, I think the reason to join one is to get the technical knowledge of running equipment. And so 
I, I think that you will go through multiple stages of your career. First, you'll be the ones uh, running the tool uh, and having someone to tell you why. And then you'll be the ones running the tool and you're driving why. And then finally, you're going to be telling someone to use the tool and telling them why. And so working at the, uh, the mill gave me those differing levels of knowledge. So first, you learn how to use the equipment at a very basic level. And then you learn to use the equipment in a more unique manner. And then finally, as you start to go on bigger projects, you start to tell other people, I want you to run this test at these conditions. And so the important thing from that point of view is just knowing each step of the way and the knowledge that comes associated with it. And so I think that's the most unique part, but moving like zooming out to more broad maker spaces, it just kind of, it gives you a very easy way in to learn with your hands. And so if you work at one, you're helping people with their projects and you get exposed to different ideas and it gives you more of a breadth of knowledge that you can kind of take from whenever you need uh, help on a problem is that, oh, like I saw this person do that or I saw that person do that. And so it gets you a lot of experience quickly uh, at a very low risk level. Uh, no one's going to get like, no one's going to fire you or get really mad at you uh, <laughs> at a makerspace. So uh, that's personally why I think that they're extremely valuable. Yeah. And just to add on top of that, the social aspect of it all, um, just being able to meet new MSCs, meet other MSCs, hang out with people. I mean, there's like the social like events as well that the the mill would put on where you get to just interact and hear about other MSC stories and just get to know each other. And that is kind of just like, it's always been a hub where people go, even if they don't necessarily have like a project they're specifically working on, but if they just wanted to chat with other people, that's just a good place to be where you can kind of be the center there and meet other people. And then from the technical aspect, I would say that there's a level of problem solving creativity that comes into play when you can start training others on the equipment. When like, for example, I was kind of the owner of the Leica microscope. And so when people would come for different projects, I would be able to use my knowledge of like the different parameters and the different settings that we can adjust to be like, oh, I think this is what you need. Or, hey, you can maybe like zoom out and create like a spiral photo, or you can do like a time lapse to see how this uh, changes over time. So there's a lot of cool problem solving that comes into play. And even as this is evident in like process settings of, of all kinds, it's inherent that there will be like equipment downtime too. And so you have to be able to navigate that and be able to figure out like SOPs or like troubleshooting procedures come in at at random times to be able to fix the equipment. So there's just a lot of problem solving that comes into play and a lot of the social atmosphere that I thought was really enjoyable. And then you can even take that to another level like David did and gain a lot of leadership experience as well. Yeah, I would definitely say that uh, first what Pretty saying is that knowing the technical knowledge especially helps when you move out into industry. And so for example, in industry, depending on the type of work you do, as you go progressively higher, you're going to be giving the directions to other people. And so, especially when working with vendors, knowing like how all the machinery works is extremely valuable to make sure they aren't lying to you per se. And so, for example, uh, I was trying to find the glass transition temperature of a composite system and the vendor used a DSC and they used a ramp rate of like 30 C a minute. 
And so using my knowledge, basically the faster you ramp, the more the TG is shifted to higher temperatures. And so they were effectively giving me a very wrong number. Uh, and so going back and immediately saying like, Hey, like try it again at this speed and then getting a more accurate number, like gave a lot more insight. where perhaps like, if like, I wasn't as knowledgeable about the equipment, it could have been like, Oh, okay. Like maybe something else then. So just like having the expertise makes it very valuable to make sure that you can't get quote unquote lied to through like selectiveness of the parameters. And then, yeah, like Pranice said, is it's a great uh, leadership role uh, and opportunity. And so, I, I worked from a staff member to through different positions of management, uh, controlling various amounts of people. And so, it really uh, showed me what I liked and disliked. And so, uh, overall, the the steps was like just like a regular member, then like an equipment owner, and then like a group, uh, like a, the owner over a group of equipment owners. So more of a technical role. And finally, like the leader or CEO president of the entire organization. And it shows you like on each varying steps, your priorities and responsibilities are very different. And it's very telling about what you like and what you don't like. Uh, but also as a college student, it gives you a chance to experiment. And so I was taking business and project management classes through my minor. And so I just, uh, sat down with uh, Puneeth and a few other people who were under me at the time. I was like, okay, let's just try it. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> and so just using them as my guinea pigs at like a very, very low risk scenario uh, made it so that like, oh, like, so this is how I can apply it. And like kind of give me insight into if I ever go into an actual role that uses this, this is like some very basics of like, okay, my first day, I will at least know what's going on. And so that's what I found most valuable about the leadership opportunities. One thing that that reminded me of. So I think there was just an encouragement there. I remember to pursue a side project of some sort within the organization. And for me, that was like, let me try to figure out if we can tie the mill to the industry in some way, whether that's like a project or, or something. And I, I still remember at the end of the year, what, what, what had happened was I just started a new organization or like rebuilt material advantage. And so when I was still like the technical officer for the mill at that point, and David and I had like our like yearly recap and he was like, well, <laughs> you, you did complete your goal, but you just started a whole new organization as a result. I thought that was super funny, but I think that is just like from the leadership perspective, it's good to like encourage people to pursue things that they're passionate about within the scope of your organization. Like as long as it advances that organization, as well as like their personal development. I think later on, like the next year when David was CEO and I was the president of Material Advantage, Sure, our friendship helps, but we were also able to just like collaborate and figure out ways that the mill and material advantage could collaborate even more in the future. So, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And I think, again, like just being able to develop those relationships within the organizations helps a lot. And trying out the things like you mentioned, like from the business classes, the different frameworks are something you can take on for the rest of your life, even in like industry settings, you can bring that to the table. So cool stuff. And so we, we just talked about the industry side of things. I know we've covered it a lot in previous episodes, but we're taking it on in a different scope now. So the topic we want to talk about is just how to make the most of 
internship and co-op experiences in terms of like your learning and growth opportunities, since it is a relatively short time frame. It's like 10 to 14 weeks on average, right? So do you have any advice, David, for how to take advantage of that and really like get the most out of your like three month experience? Uh, on, a, on a joke perspective, uh, hope someone gets fired um, <laughs> or someone leaves because in multiple, it's actually probably kind of funny, but multiple of my roles, the people on my team have left while I've been there. Wow. And what so is the saying that, about you? <laughs> that, I know it must be me. And so all their responsibilities are kind of up for grabs. And because it's uh, someone who's doing a full-time position, like obviously not all the other members can take it on. And so and that time I'm like, okay, I can go for it. And so just latching on to opportunities as they arise is a great way. And basically I would say that most of the time they will not think that you're very valuable or worth it at first. And so most people view interns as like, okay, like, sure. You can like tag along and help out, but like I'm driving here. And so trying to work through projects to gain the trust and respect of other full-time employees is like definitely like what will lead to the most growth. And so once you have their respect and like they, they at least trust you to start doing things on your own, that's when all these projects open up to you where you can start taking the lead. And then I think that's where you learn the most. And so just making sure that like you can prove to them that like, yes, like I deserve to be here. Like there's a reason why I got the internship, like you can trust me with some of these things and then just running with it is probably like the best way to get the growth opportunities as like, then you'll like know what leading a project in a company is actually like. And so that, that's what I think is like the most important. And so one, one thing that I've learned is that the longer you can be there, the better. And so while like these summer internships are great, uh, like potentially thinking of like taking a semester off and working like summer to fall would be extremely beneficial just because it does take time for you to build a rapport and build trust. And then as soon as you get there, like you're basically leaving. And so it, it's, it's hard to build relationships in such a short time. And so potentially if like it's a company that you really enjoy, thinking about staying a little longer is definitely beneficial for that growth aspect, but there's still a lot that can be accomplished in three months and a lot that you can show. And so uh, going back to the same place the next summer or something like that is another good way to get more responsibilities. And I think that when you get the responsibilities, that's when you grow the most. Right. Like a co-op, for example, where you're just alternating back and forth. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I think from the internship standpoint, so there may be times where you feel like you're not gaining enough opportunities or you're not learning enough in your like current role. And so just another piece of advice other than kind of, you know, building trust with your existing team members is to seek out other opportunities that might be like a side project if you have time. So for example, like in the pandemic, I interned at GE Aviation. And so naturally when you're working virtually, it's not like a lot of hands-on experience and it's a lot of seminars, right? So what I did is before the internship even started or like on the first day, I set goals for myself like, hey, here, like, despite all the circumstances, here's where I want to grow. I want to learn, like, the business side of things a little bit. I want to learn some project management experience, and I want to gain a technical knowledge base of 
aerospace engines or like additive manufacturing. And so I got that naturally with like the final project is the, the technical side, but to gain more of the business knowledge base, I had to seek out relationships. So we had like uh, seminars in the first week where we learned from different representatives of different groups. And I ended up reaching out individually to one of them and just setting up a 30 minute chat and then saying, hey, do you think there's any way where we could go through like a business case, for example? And so that took more time. But over the course of that week, it was a whole separate project, like not even really related to the core you know, curriculum of that GE aviation technical internship, but it was just a bunch of back and forth. And then a final call where I would ask enough questions and really just learned about like the, the business side of things, like the cost benefit analysis, the different parameters I had to think about to ultimately make a decision of if we should move forward with that project, if the ROI was good, um, doing like an MPV calculation, things like that. So again, kind of not totally technically related, but just an example of being able to continuously network and seek out other projects when, when available and continuing to reflect to see what you're interested in and what you want to pursue further. I think it's always important to be able to see what all of the options are out there and being able to connect with people and just nurture that relationship before you need it. You might need that like the next semester, you might need it three years from now, but it's always good to have have those relationships. So, yeah, I think you make a great point. It's that like with a title of an intern, it's kind of like a, a skeleton key where you can kind of just go up to varying levels of people in the organization and just like be free to ask questions without much repercussion of like any, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, so I, I think that's pretty says like, that's exactly like it, it gets you into a lot of doors that otherwise would be like more challenging to get into because you don't have a great reason otherwise except for like oh i'm an intern just like trying to explore things and so i think that's very uh very impressive and then also just for a lot of these companies you're going to have like these side like organizations where they want you to get like engraved in their culture and so there will be like sustainability clubs or other clubs that It'll be kind of up to you. And so the, the main point there being is that you're going to have a lot of opportunities. You're not going to have time to do them all. And so are you focused on learning more technical skills, in which case you should focus on your job? Are you more focused on finding out what the company culture is like? And then in that case, you can score more other clubs. Or are you trying to find lateral positional moves? And then in that case, you should try to be uh, networking with people in different organizations. And so knowing the goal of what you want to accomplish in said internship uh, will kind of dictate you. And so trying not to do it all, and I've seen people try to do it all, and it makes some of their other parts suffer. It's like, oh, like, sure, like you got all this leadership experience here, but if you want to do anything technical, like you weren't actually able to accomplish that side of it. And so knowing what you want is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just one thing that I wanted to emphasize is that everybody is different. And so your long-term goals, it's totally okay to be like completely different than everybody else. You know, like one engineer might want to have like a purely technical role long-term and just stay as like an R&D fellow, for example, but someone else might want to like pivot into the business side of things or like product management or whatever. Um, and that's totally okay too, right? Like there's just a bunch of different paths you can follow as an MSC. So don't feel pressured 
by what other people are doing and feel like you have to follow the same path because you ultimately just have to reflect on what's best for you and then figure out the the right moves to get there. And that might be totally different. Like David and I, for example, it might be different paths and it has been different paths and that's totally okay because our long-term goals are slightly different. Now we can take it back to the school side of things. And this one is really just like us being able to share our leadership advice for students with like executive board positions in their respective like student organizations. So what would you say is like your biggest piece of advice for a student leader? There, when you think about leaders, you can think about multiple different types of leaders. And that can be a technical leader, a people leader, or just uh, some combination of the two. And so for leadership, like, of course, you can try things out in these student leaderships, but knowing what type of leader you're going to be and knowing what role you're going to play makes it much clearer for people in your organization what you expect of them. And so, for example, you have a a C-suite of people. And so knowing what role you play on the board, knowing how you can help, how, like where you're proficient in is better than everyone trying to do everything at once. And so there, there is a reason why we have broken up positions and we have broken up leadership into multiple roles. And that's so that it is not uh, like an individual responsibility, it is a group responsibility. And so my leadership advice is know your role. And then beyond that, know where you can push others to help them. And so when you start to go higher up as like the CEO and president, you're kind of the one-stop shop for if anything goes wrong. And so learning how to like kind of understand other people's situations and be empathetic is extremely important. And also learning like, yes, this is hard, but how do we go forward? And so learning constructive criticism and um, ways forward and advice is extremely important. But I think overall, my biggest piece of advice is that leadership is hard. Leadership takes time. Leadership is not easy. And so when you think of yourself as a student leader, is that something you want to do? It will take time and the you can coast by with less effort. And I know at some points in uh, my time, I did. And what the result is, is that sure, like everything seems okay, but there's no progress being made there's no actual change being made. And so if I look back at myself and I said, was that the best I could do? No. And so then another question is like, could someone else do it better? And in that case, you're not being an effective leader. And so either learning how to delegate in those ways that like, oh, like I identified this person, like this person can do this better than me. Let me step back from maybe this position and focus my uh, like roles on something else or just completely stepping away is something that as a leader uh, you'll learn to do. And so again, like in school, it's so low risk that like no one's going to fire you, but thinking about when you get into work and you actually have responsibilities and roles, they'll just straight up fire you if (laughs) (laughs) if you aren't living up to your end of the deal. And so learning how to identify the warning signs, learning how to like overcome some of the issues is extremely important as like, just experience. You, you gain all these experiences so that when it actually does matter, you know how to pull from. Yeah. And so that that's kind of the main lessons that I've learned from my, my time there. 
and um, what I'll use going forward. Yeah, for sure. I think it's definitely very challenging to lead an organization, take on any executive executive board position, but I think it's totally worth it. I think that's been one of my, if not my biggest like growth opportunity is taking on the identity of a leader and then growing into that role. Um, you don't have to consider yourself a leader or have previous leadership experience, but if you commit to it, then you will naturally figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. So for instance, for me, I ended up taking on more of like the servant leadership type role. And that involved a lot of delegating. And so my quick tip there with delegating is it's super important to build those systems and have that team so that you're not doing everything. You're not necessarily like always in the weeds um, and looking down. If you're able to delegate projects, then you can take on more of a systems level role and be able to guide the team and the organization forward and be able to have that like long-term vision. And in order to do that, I think one little thing that I learned when delegating tasks or when asking for someone to do something is to, first of all, add a deadline, even if there's not really a deadline, just adding it for yourself or for the other team member and is super important because Parkinson's law, it'll take however long you assign that task to take, right? And so if they have a deadline, then they're much more likely to get it done. And another addition to that is explaining the why for them. Like, why would it be not just helpful for the organization? Why would it be beneficial to them personally? And in order to do that, you have to really learn about your team. You have to learn about their personal motivations, why they wanted to join this team, why they want to get this experience, et cetera. And then from there, you can really get a, like a good stronghold of, of being able to assign different projects based on different people's motivations and experiences and be able to persuade people to get things done because you can kind of attach the personal value to it as well. So ultimately, that's the role that I took with servant leadership, being able to empower others to take on projects that they're passionate about, that I think would also guide the organization forward. And in order to do that, the final actionable piece of advice that I, that I would give is to have some sort of like project management tool. There's Trello, you know, there's like Google spreadsheets where you can have a shared spreadsheet. That's what we did was we just had each executive board member at the beginning of the semester, we, I had a one-on-one where we discussed like two or three projects that would be super beneficial for the organization and for them. And then we just kind of had that all in one place and we were able to track their progress through the course of the semester. And in turn, that ultimately led to us starting or building this organization from scratch and within one year, getting the chapter of excellence award as one of like the top five material advantage chapters in the whole world. So it was a pretty cool experience and it was wrapped up really well. And in order to continue the longevity of the organization beyond after you leave, I think it's important to also have like SOPs for each specific position. So we created like, Hey, here's all the things that you need, you need to know. And whenever we transition the executive board, they would have that as guidance for like, here's what we've learned. Here's what not to do. Here's what is successful. Here's how to like reach out to different companies and set up these events and things like that. So 
that's my long-term spiel, but those are kind of like the biggest things that I would say is being able to like learn your leadership role, being able to delegate effectively. And then specifically for student organizations, SOPs are a really good way to continuously transition the executive board and ensure the student organization is successful beyond after you leave. No, I, I think that is a really good summary and just I, I think that a very important point that you made is just like knowing what type of leader you are. Like I was saying, it's just there, there's nothing wrong with being any type of leader, but knowing your role makes it clear cut and very defined what you expect of other people. And so I, I think that's like the biggest takeaway I had from what you're saying is that like it was very clear in the organization what you were expecting to do for yourself and then what you were expecting others to do. and that no ambiguity makes it easier to fill a position and be more confident in what you're doing than if that isn't defined. For sure. And I think the final thing that that reminded me of is just if you take extreme ownership of your organization and, and the performance of your organization, you're much more likely to grow as a leader. You know, if someone else does something quote unquote wrong, if you take ownership of that and be like, how could next time I could, how can I train this person to ensure that gets done better or on time or whatever, then you kind of continuously pick up leadership techniques and learn for the future. So I think we could probably do a whole episode on just like what we've learned from, from the leadership side, but we'll wrap it up for now. If you like this episode, let us know by leaving a comment on YouTube or our LinkedIn posts, and we'll do more of these in the future. So yeah, everyone have a good one. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.